this evening I'd like to explore in my talk and then in a dialogue among the group members the question of bringing our speech practice and all the tools and resources we've been developing, how to bring that out into our everyday lives. Really continuing this integrative part of the retreat. So I'd like to um, point to a number of, of supports for that process and we'll engage in dialogue. But first I want to begin with a reflection. I'll ask everyone to uh, go inside or in whatever way you can uh, reflect on a series of questions. The first is, how can you or how might you best bring your practice from the retreat into your everyday life in a way that would sustain, support your practice? How can you best bring your practice from this retreat into your everyday life? And to be a little more specific, it can often be helpful in leaving a retreat to be quite specific about what one will do in the near future. Not just the next larger period of time, but what tools do you most want to work with or focus on in the next week to help the process keep going? And they could be uh, tools or practices of your meditation, as well as the speech practices. What tools or what practices do you most want to work with in the next week? And more specifically still, what will you do in the first two days after the retreat (laughs) to bring the retreat learning into your everyday life? What will you do in the first two days after the retreat 
to bring your retreat learning into your everyday life. And I'll just mention again the, the uh, end of retreat practice, which I believe I mentioned in, um, I believe I mentioned in talking with uh, Danny, of leaving some time near the end of the retreat, probably after breakfast tomorrow is a great time, or for some of you maybe it's at the end of the day today, and just to take 10, 20 minutes and just to reflect on and maybe in writing or however you work best, to reflect on, on from this place of uh, the relative uh, clarity and uh, calm before things get too busy with going back into your everyday lives, to reflect on the kind of questions I just mentioned, but, but what, what the retreat tells you about any shifts you need to make in your everyday life. Or whatever, whatever um, wants to come from the retreat. I, I do that regularly as in retreats, but I, I mentioned how I leave it towards the end and so it doesn't become a preoccupation during the retreat, which, and uh, having that boundary permits going, going deeper. So I want to talk relatively briefly about bringing our retreat practice into our daily lives. And I want to do so in terms of talking about three main areas of our practice. The first is to talk more about our meditative practice and what helps that be supported. So that would be more the inner, we might say. Then I want to talk about our speech practice, which is more the interactive or interpersonal and then I also want to say some things about bringing our speech practice into the larger world. Not just with diets, but actually bringing them into our organizations and into the world. Where I think they can be quite powerful and important. So I want to touch on those three areas and then we'll have again, have some open time to talk together. So tomorrow morning, we'll talk a little bit more about the specifics of leaving the retreat and some suggestions about what's wise in terms of the next day or two or three in terms of the retreat. Here I want to talk more generally about uh, daily life practice. And, you know, first of all, you know, as we suggest in the uh, kind of the self curriculum or the the suggested curriculum for bringing the tools of the retreat into our daily lives. Um, a daily practice cultivating some of our foundational capacities is essential. And by those foundational capacities, I'm 
referring especially to mindfulness, to the opening of the heart, and thirdly, the grounding in the body. I think to have daily practices that do all three of those is really, really important. And it doesn't, by that I don't mean necessarily that we need to practice two hours a day formally, or three hours. If you can do that, that can be wonderful, but what I'm speaking about is more keeping the thread going And what we find when we do that daily practice, as many or most of us know, is that unexpectedly, mindfulness pops up in daily life. What explains how suddenly you're walking down the steps, going to work, and you're suddenly mindful for a moment? What explains that? (laughs) It's a little unpredictable, but it has to do basically with previous moments of mindfulness. And, you know, it's almost mathematical. The more moments of mindfulness, the more there are in the future. And so that daily mindfulness practice is really crucial. And I think, you know, it almost goes without saying that to be able to see our reactive patterns, to notice them, to study them, we need a lot of mindfulness to tune into the body patterns connect with reactivity. A lot of what we have focused on the last day or two is looking at the challenging situations related to speech practice, and a lot of those are connected with situations in which we become reactive. And so we, can, we need that grounding in the everyday practice on the cushion, uh, in which we get to see our reactive patterns somewhat, but not not so much, as it were, in the heat of battle, so to speak, uh, or in the, in the midst of interaction. So a daily practice of mindfulness, really crucial. 20 or 30 minutes minimum, probably. But we can also bring it into the walking meditation. You know, when I was first learning meditation, I was a student. And when I was doing a lot of it, I was living in Boston, and I didn't have a car. And I would use the public transportation. I walked a lot. And I said to myself, I'm going to take every walking situation and have it be walking meditation. And so, because I, I was somewhat complaining about not enough time for practice. Right? And, and that helped a lot. And I really opened up to that process. Metta practice. Something, some kind of heart practice every day is really, really crucial. It can, particularly if we feel like there's some, some significant heart opening that may still need to occur for our, in relation to ourselves or to others, whatever it is, whether it's loving kindness practice or forgiveness practice or gratitude or compassion or some other practice or some way that you go into your heart. I don't know if you just hang out with um, hang out with your pet, maybe, in ways that really open the heart, or whatever, or you come back to Spirit Rock and invite the turkeys in for meditation. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much wanting to do. That's a little bit of an inside joke for anyone who wasn't here with the sitting that we just had, where the turkeys so much wanted to join us in the sitting, they were knocking on the windows. It's really 
kind of a touching moment. <laughs> um, so, but but we can keep the opening of the heart going, just maybe with just ten minutes a day. You know, one student of mine, she only does metta when she's driving. Very interesting. You can do it on public transportation. Can do it. Uh, you know, try it maybe in the dining hall tomorrow morning. Just bring metta to each person. You can do it in public spaces. It's really beautiful. It's even it's even ecstatic sometimes to do that. It can be really fill one with joy. You know, or it could be like it could be joy practice. You know, do things which fill you with joy. Be, you know, be in a beautiful place in the natural world for 15 minutes every day. That's, I think that's a similar practice. Find ways to connect with the body. The body, again, we've, I think we, we've uh, focused on it quite a bit more than we did last year, uh, interestingly. And it's really, really crucial. And we have, I think, focused also more on the importance of the body for having that inner and outer awareness at the same time, which is not a beginning practice. It takes some getting used to and some working with, but I think we've done that enough here, so I imagine that that's getting familiar. Not, not easy. But the body awareness, sustained practice of being aware of the body, is crucial for that. I, I was privileged, uh, maybe starting about 12 years ago, to work with John Travis, who's a teacher at Spirit Rock, and he's, we teach together quite a bit now. But I was really working with him, and he's a teacher of the body. And I was doing a lot of body practices that really helped ground body awareness. Um, some by just being aware of my whole body for whole retreats. That was all that I did. I was just aware of my whole body for, you know, a week, two weeks, even longer sometimes. And then, you know, in doing practices in the natural world, as I mentioned, with, with redwood trees and so forth. It's beautiful practices. And one day, I think I was talking with John, and I was complaining, I think. And I was, you know, we were, I think we were talking about some Tibetan teachers, and I was kind of thinking, well, they, they, have, it, they have it made, they have monasteries right there, and they can, you know, a lot of support, and they hardly even leave there, and everything is telling them be aware, and, you know, even living in the Bay Area, sometimes it doesn't feel like there's so much support, and I'm kind of complaining. And, and he said to me, right point blank, let your body be your monastery. And I went, mm. <laughs> You know, it was like uh, kind of electric, actually. It was a beautiful moment, and it's totally stayed with me. And, uh, and I think, and I also, I, I, I was really energized to, to ground more in the body and to work with that and have that be, it's like that, um, that uh, film, I think it was called Buckaroo Banzai. Do you remember, anyone see that film? It's from the 1990s, probably doesn't make too many lists of the best films. <laughs> But it was, there was a line in it which was, I think, used later by John Kabat-Zinn for the title of a book. It was called, Wherever You Go, There You Are. And, and there was a line from the, the you know, like kind of a tagline for the film that everyone remembered it by. And it's kind of like that for the body. Wherever you are, you can be aware of your body. It will ground you, bring you back, 
help you to come to center, and it's always available. And so it's so, so important to have that to have that grounding in the body. I think we know from being here that community and sangha, as as Oren was exploring last night, is totally crucial. How many of you could have just done this at home? Maybe, I don't know, even listening to a bunch of recordings, let's say, even from a past retreat, it would have been hard. But the only reason we have all these recordings is because we're here. And that, that power of community and support is so crucial, and we need to find that in various ways. And many of us have that, but to have regular support, it doesn't have to be dramatic. You know, two of you here may choose to keep, stay connected and send each other an email every three days about your speech practice. A lot of creative ways to do this. Seek out someone here and say, would you talk with me? Doesn't mean, you know, you have to be totally outstanding and everything. (laughs) It just is that support, you know. And I, I once had a group just with two other people. We met every two weeks for nine months. Just three people. It was incredible. It made all the difference in the world. So that level of that community, that support, you can, again, ask someone here. You know, maybe we'll, we don't, we'll see tomorrow whether we have names on the sign-up sheets to continue, but there are all sorts of support. There's your local community. There's your, you know, your, um, the sitting groups, come back here, come to retreats and so forth. Um, However you find support for your practice, you know, listen to the recordings from Dharma Seed, listen to, listen to the entire retreat every six months for the next 10 years. <laughs> so really, really crucial. And having some way of coming back to something like the focus in a retreat often is quite important too, you know. So come to day longs, do day longs. Um, come back to retreats. You know, when I work with people, I always like to ask them, "Have you scheduled your next retreat?" Because sometimes if we don't schedule them, the calendar gets busy. You know, it's not so much to be overly what um, tight about it, but but it's really about sometimes. We have to set priorities, and I hope that retreats are a priority. I think we can see how much they can deepen. And what you've, where you've been on this retreat is with you. It's with you forever. You know, if you've touched some deeper calm, understanding, in a way it'll be always be accessible. Not that you'll have the, you know, when things get really busy, not that you'll have that same level of calm, but there's something there. There's a thread, a remembrance, something that is actually supportive. A practice that I've been doing almost all of the last 30 years is the practice of a Sabbath. Which I imagine, anyone here do a Sabbath? Probably some of you do, I imagine. It's basically taking one day a week, or part of one day a week, and devoting it to your practice in whatever way you do it. Some people I work with, it's just a morning or just an afternoon. One person does it every Friday from 2 to 6 p.m. You know? And it could be you sit 
you take a walk, you do some reading, you sit again, you have a cup of tea, and that's it. Doing that regularly once a week will add, will give a lot of momentum for your practice. If you can do a whole day, great. I have a privilege, I do my Sabbaths on Wednesday. Because I teach here often on Wednesdays, I come in the morning, I teach, and then I often stay the rest of the day and then have the privilege of sitting in the staff area sometimes for retreats. So I can enter into the retreat space once a week. It makes a huge difference. And doing it on Wednesdays preserves my busy social life. (laughs) (laughs) Just a suggestion for those of you who say, gosh, I can't do it on weekend, my social life. What will happen? So anyway, just, just so you know. Um, and of course some reading and study can be very helpful as well listening to talks Dharma Seed is an amazing resource the website you know, thousands of talks almost all of them really really high quality I think you know, really um, people teachers who are very very well trained and a lot of experience and it's a tremendous resource so reading you know, we have some reading lists to read to study can be a great support so a few further words about speech practice, the second secondary I want to talk about. There's a, there's a uh, nice quotation from a Zen teacher, Yvonne Rand. She says, words in a flash of the tongue can brighten or darken, obscure or clarify human experience. Therefore, it behooves anyone who cares about suffering in the world to pay attention to how words are used. That's what we've been doing for this, uh, for this week. And I think we've seen that the, 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 the work of developing a conscious speech practice is challenging. It really takes practice. We can see how our language use has been conditioned for so many years and that we need to practice, just like with all of our uh, transformative work, with mindfulness or with loving-kindness, it's, um, it's a big job. You know, we can find change often in the more superficial aspects, but some of the deeper conditioning takes a while. That's where all of those other supports are so crucial. And we have to somehow make the speech practice training our own. Really find what works for you. You know, I'm, I'm really happy that we, that we prepared the, this handout on continuing wise speech practice in daily life. And it can be really simple. So you don't have to do everything at all. You might say, I just want to ground more in the body and have that affect my speech. And that's what I want to do for the, you know, just focus on that for the next few weeks or I want to just focus on one or two things. I want to really be able to tune into my feelings and others' feelings and my deeper values and others' values. And I like that we can actually focus on that and really give that energy and then maybe come back and do another piece. My experience in working with this is that if we give a sustained focus to one area for two weeks, something like that, maybe a week, and really give it good energy, and then keep the thread going some, that will be part of our repertoire. 
and will continue to develop. And of course, the support of others helps. But we have to find some way to make it work. I know that's been true for me in working with the ethical guidelines. And for me, the inner and the outer practice has been really, you know, as you can tell from some of the presentations, the relational practice has been really fundamental. That's really, I have a passion for that. And that's my practice. I go into speech mode, I go there. You know, and it's been, but I've been practicing it for quite a while and, and developed some of the foundations before. So find what feels like your edge without being ambitious. With, and find, you know, we have probably 10, 12 tools here. Just work on two of them. Work on two of them for the next year and really get them down. And then next year, go on to some more, you know. Oren's going to talk a little bit more tomorrow morning about how to bring, you know, some further words on, on continuing with the NVC practice. But I think it's essentially the same thing. It's practice, practice, practice. And they're great supports uh, in terms of classes and retreats that we practice, you know, how your mindfulness practice and maybe the metta practice uh, with the support of the retreat probably feels like, okay, you know, it's developing, right? It's there. I can go home. I can do that. It's pretty much the same thing with any of these practices. We just have to do them a lot. It's simple in that way. One of the emphases that we've made here that I think is really important is on the deep connection between inner work and our speech practice that a lot of the difficulties of our speech practice or the challenges of our speech practice are really related to our inner difficulties, you know, especially to our reactivity. Maybe in that where we can speak with grace or with uh, beauty, with directness, it comes out of maybe those qualities being present in an inner way. And that's one of, the, I think, the main uh, objectives we've had for this retreat is to really make that connection feel clearer, you know, and and be there in a in a really uh, tangible way. And so, just developing the mindfulness again, so crucial. Studying there's a, this special place for studying reactivity, as I mentioned, when we get interested in our own reactivity, the ways that we either somewhat compulsively or unconsciously push away in all sorts of ways, or grab hold. When we get interested in that, our practice accelerates. When we, you know, and we want to take it where it's workable. But when we can say, oh, some moderate suffering, a wonderful chance to learn something. <laughs> I won't say that for the larger suffering, but, but, but when we start actually saying, I'm feeling a little bit off balance, I'm a little, something's happening, an opportunity for learning. Not so easy, you know, and, I, and again, not for everyone at every time, but we're encouraging that, that really it's a philosophy of learning. <clears throat> Working with the ethical guidelines will protect us. We haven't stressed them so much on this retreat, but they're really crucial. Taking a vow of not harming others will protect you, it will also protect others. So concretely, it could mean tuning in, checking into the ethical guidelines periodically. On our Wednesday morning 
gatherings, at our Wednesday morning gatherings, we renew the ethical precepts the second Wednesday of each month. You're welcome to come and focus there or do it in your own way. Some communities renew the ethical precepts once a week. All you need to do is just read them to yourself and take that vow. Really, really crucial. Not always emphasized so much. And to remember this principle of deep listening. So beautiful. You know, I think that our skillful speech comes out of the capacity to listen deeply to ourselves and to others. And so to cultivate that deep listening, we cultivate that in our meditation practice. I think we've been cultivating that here in our NBC practices. Wonderful to cultivate that in terms of knowing one's own deeper intentions, to know what's there for another, to know what to do next, to know what's calling me in my life. Developing capacity to listen is so crucial for a period of time, I was the, I worked at a graduate school in San Francisco for a number of years. And for a period of time, I was chair of the entire faculty. And it was kind of a segue to the next topic, but what I found my main work was, was listening to others. In that role, people came and complained to me all the time. I found that my work was especially to listen carefully to what they had to say. And then typically, I would say something that let them feel heard. And then usually I would say something like, I think it would be good to find a good time to talk with John and raise that issue. Because sometimes people come to people with some authority, you know, as if I'm daddy or something, right? And they want me to take the side against John, right? So I thought I would listen and I would always say, it would be helpful to find a good time to talk with this person. <laughs> over and over, the same thing happened like that. It was mostly to listen and to recommend skillful speech. You know, very interesting. So just a little bit on the last area of bringing our speech into the world. Uh, I was mentioning how, in, in a way, we, want, we can do that uh, not just in our interactions, but we can start to bring speech maybe into our larger settings, into our organizations. I know that I've been conscious of that. You know, when I was um, when I was on that faculty, I would uh, I helped develop a speech and communication committee, and we made recommendations to the whole faculty <coughs> because we had, even though everyone is basically a good person. There were moments. <laughs> and there were people who might be described as cantankerous. <laughs> and so we adopted the, we, you know, it was really interesting. I was part of this committee and I really enjoyed, um, we adopted these agreements and people really loved adopting the agreement for our speech to be truthful, helpful, kind, and have good timing and appropriateness. And they asked me before every faculty meeting to put on a piece of poster board right at the front of the meeting hall, these four guidelines. And I don't think they knew that they were you know, derived from Buddhist tradition. They just liked them. And I've, had other, I've had other students whose organizations have adopted guidelines like that and they have them on the walls. 
in different places. You can do that. You know, you can be skillful uh, with your, you know, with bringing these values into into larger settings. Um, very valuable for an organization or a group to have something like uh, uh, speech guidelines or group guidelines. When I was on the board of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, we adopted guidelines for all of our communication together. And we would read them and talk about them for maybe 20 minutes at the beginning of every meeting, every, every uh, longer meeting. Like we would have, uh, often we have four times a year, we would have weekend meetings. And they, here, I'll, I'll just read you some of these. These were what we agreed upon as an organization for our interactions. Respect and cherish each other, remembering that we are all interconnected. Speak your truth without intent to harm anyone. If you are one who speaks easily and often, be aware that others may need some space to be heard. If you did not speak easily, challenge yourself to speak up. If someone just said what you were going to say, pass or say ditto, rather than repeating it. (laughs) Use I statements, especially for personal or process issues. Listen to others with curiosity and be aware when you are not being open to what is being said. It's okay not to know. You can communicate passionately, but be aware when you are holding on to your opinion too tightly. Please avoid interrupting. (laughs) Respect the practice of taking turns speaking. Anyone can call a timeout. And then last, we will ring a mindfulness bell every 30 minutes and pause for three long breaths before continuing. Developed by the wonderful Vietnamese teacher Thich Nhat Hanh. A lot of the essence of peacemaking in the world is developing conditions for skillful speech. You know, when I've studied conflict transformation and mediation and peacemaking, they're all very tuned into speech and particularly the quality of listening. That's what a peacemaker does. Thich Nhat Hanh says a peacemaker learns to listen to the suffering of one side and bring it to the other side. So as we develop in these skills, I think we become naturally peacemakers and we bring it out into the larger world. We learn how to listen and we learn from having gone into our own challenging mind states that when someone comes at us with anger or with fear, to the extent that we've explored those in ourselves, we're not so knocked off center by them. It's the interconnection of the inner work and the speech work. And I'll just end with with that theme of this interconnection really of the silence and and the speaking. It's an interconnection that the world deeply, deeply needs. So my hope is that all of us as we develop we also consider the ways that as we keep developing in this way, we can actually be of great benefit to others. You know, first we ground and develop in ourselves, but we can be of great benefit to others. 
we can find that ability to speak and to listen deeply that really ultimately is grounded in silence. This paradoxical relationship of the capacity to be silent inside as the basis for listening and for speaking. So I'll just end with a very uh, short part of a poem from the poet Rilke. It's about silence and listening and speaking. All creation holds its breath, listening within me, because to hear you, I keep silent. All creation holds its breath, listening within me, because to hear you, I keep silent. We'll just sit for a few minutes now. We have some time if there are questions about uh, daily life practice, about anything I said, or really anything left over from the retreat, then um, both Oren and I will respond, and we could also even have some, some dialogue among us. that um, is about free listening. Mm. Have you heard of those people? Yeah. Well, um, they get like three people that stand on a street. They find that if it's just one person, people are afraid. They think it's a nut. But if there's three <laughs> people, um, and they have t-shirts that say free listening, mm. and they... Um, you know, they'll go to a certain place and they'll advertise they're going to be there and they'll stay there for two hours and, and just listen to people. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently they find it pretty profound for both the people that are listening and the people walking by. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it started in Chicago. And mm -hmm. um, that to me would be an obvious thing that people in the Bay Area could 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.